Uh, we're going to use number 421 as our opening number this morning. Number 421. Ask the congregation to stand for a moment.
you bow with me, please? Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you for this beautiful day, Lord, that you've given us. Lord, that we might come out and sing praises to your most holy name. Lord, as frail and feeble as we are, Lord, we pray that our praises have been acceptable to you this morning, Lord. And Lord, we pray for all the many that we've asked an interest in your prayers, Lord. We especially lift up Jennifer Patrick, Lord, that you might bless her and grant her healing. Lord, we ask now that as we go into this uh, time of the service where we look into your word, Lord, we ask that you might just uh, open our eyes and our ears, Lord, that we might see you high and lifted up, that we might know you better, Lord, and Lord, because of it, we might have a desire to serve you better. Lord, we ask that you would just forgive us where we failed you, Lord. Please go with us and grant us those things we need. For it's in Christ Jesus' name we pray these things, and for his sake. Amen. Amen. Well, again, it's good to see each of you this morning. Um, I do apologize for my excellent song leading this morning. I don't know. Sometimes my sometimes my mind goes in directions that I, and I'm afraid to follow it. But the Lord would be our helper this morning. I hope that we might be able to share some things with you from his word that are right and true and good and, and uh, that they might give us encouragement and hope um, that they might re remove fear and doubt that's that's our goal this morning I, we were talking earlier in the week uh, when we were preparing uh, for uh, Sister Lane's husband's funeral uh, for Larry's funeral and, and Throughout the uh, scripture, um, the uh, there's a synonym often used uh, for messenger or preacher, and it is angel. I do not profess to be an angel. But I hope I'm a messenger of God that always, always when the messenger of God was sent, the angel would say, fear not. For I bring you good tidings of great joy. And so that's what I hope to bring this morning. I have been talking about doctrines that we we believe there's uh, a lot of different doctrines that we hold to and, and believe in, and I've been trying to go through many of those over the past several weeks, and uh, I'm going to try to touch on one today that's a little, that is probably one of the most difficult, I think. I don't know if I'm prepared to speak on it, but we're going to try. Um, it's related to about three, at least three, maybe more of our Articles of Faith. Our articles are rather short. If you've never seen them, uh, I think we still have a couple copies up here if you want to grab one. But our Articles of Faith are there only ten very simple sentences, very, very small. And, and again, the articles of these articles are not meant to replace Scripture. They're just a summary of of what it is we believe about Scripture. And this, the, the doctrine I want to talk about this morning is the doctrine of the atonement. I want to try to speak about 
the atoning work of Christ if I can. But I think it is tied to about, as I said, about at least three of, of our articles of faith, and I'm going to read those just to, so you can hear them. Uh, article 1 in our uh, Abstract of Principles says this, We believe in only in one only true and living God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost, and these three agree in one. That is so important that you have an understanding about who God is. Uh, Elder Wilson Thompson almost was cast out as a, uh, a heretic uh, for his, uh, his boldness to preach about uh, the, the unity of the Godhead. Um, the, the word Trinity is not found in Scripture, though the word Trinity is taught in Scripture. Um, in uh, 1 John, there is a... a a statement there several times uh, about the unity of the Godhead. One of the verses in particular, First John 5 and 7 says, There are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. The Hebrew Shema uh, in uh, the Old Testament says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Uh, he, we, we don't, and the key to that is we don't believe in multiple gods. Uh, God the Father, Jesus, Christ, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit. These are not three separate gods, okay? This is one God. This is a manifest and how he, this is how he manifests himself to us as a people. Uh, the Apostle Paul said if we were to see God, uh, the only way to do that is through Jesus Christ because he is God in a body. Uh, more or less is what the Apostle Paul said. So that's very important to this uh, concept of the atonement is, is having an understanding of who God is. He, is. he is one. He is unified. He always agrees with himself. He never argues with himself. Well, I'll just put it like that. I, I do that. <laughs> I do that a lot. I, and I'm just one person, and I, but I argue with myself. I'll wish-wash and go back and forth on different things, but God is not like that. He doesn't change his mind. He doesn't, uh, he, he never changes. He is one God. Uh, the third article says, we believe in the doctrine of election and that God chose his people in Christ before the foundation of the world. The atonement is related to that. And also, um, the fourth article we believe in man's impotency to recover himself from the fallen state he is in by nature of his own free will and ability. And so those, those three articles uh, sort of, I think, make up what it is we believe about the atonement. Now, now what is an atonement? Um, the atonement is, basically it's where you make a payment or something, or you buy something back. Uh, something has a lien against it. If you are a, uh, if you are a, in banking, uh, you know that you would put out liens and have a contract. You put a lien on a on a loan, and you require payment for that. So our atonement was that payment for that lien which was against us. In the uh, Book of Revelation. I'm not going to use this as my, I'm going to use this as one of my texts, I think. 
But um, in the book of Revelation, the fifth chapter, there is a, a statement there. And you have to remember, Revelation is a, uh, is a prophetic book. It is one of those books that is not literal in nature. It's full of imagery, as, as is many of the prophetic books. Revelation, to me, is uh, Brother Chase was here a few weeks ago and spoke about the, how Revelation used to scare him. But, you know, when he thought, he said one of his uh, fathers in the faith reminded him, saying, just, just read that very first part of Revelation, and it will remind you who this is about. This is a revelation of, this is a revealing about Jesus Christ. It's going to tell you who Jesus Christ is and what Jesus Christ is all about. And, and when you begin to think about Revelation in light of that and the fact that it is a revealing of Jesus Christ to his people, then you can gain. Then Revelation then suddenly becomes less scary, less scary and a lot more comforting. Now the fifth chapter of the book of Revelations, there's a narrative there about a, a, a seven-sealed book. Now he's... Uh, the. John describes this as it was a book. I'll start just at the beginning there. Revelation chapter 5, verse 1, beginning. And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside, sealed with seven seals. Uh, I believe this is a, a picture of one of those types of contracts. Uh, historically, contracts were uh, had all the details of the contract written on the inside, they were sealed, and then on the outside, or the back side of the contract, was written a brief description of what's on the inside. And I, that's what I believe we see here, this picture of uh, the contract. Now, the one that held it in his right hand, I believe that's none other than God the Father. He's the one that holds the contract or the lien on his people or against his people. John saw this, and I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof, and no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth was able to open the books, uh, neither to look thereon, and I wept much. That's what John said, I wept much. I think John is standing there as a representative of all of, all of us, of all of God's people, uh, from the beginning of time to the end of time, all of them, and he sees that there is, there is hopelessness in his condition. This lien is, is posted against him. There is no way he can make repayment for his lien. And he is in a state of hopelessness. Well, he said, and, I, and, I, and I'm, uh, again, I'm not going to read all of this. And, and the, the, the seals on the outside are just those. They're seals representing the, the, uh, uh, the validity of it, the fact that it's seven just as the number of perfection in uh, it's a, the scriptural number of perfection, it shows that, that God had a perfect case against us, that uh, we uh, fell of our own uh, free will, that we chose, uh, chose our state, and that he requires perfection. Again, the seven seals represent that. And this very first little section here just, just tells us about that and the opening of it. There's a lot more to this uh, that describes what happens after each of the seals are opened, and I'm not going to go into that today. Maybe I, I might try to at another point, but let me just uh, read a little more of this. He says, verse 4 again, And I wept much, because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. 
And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not. Now, I don't know if this elder was, uh, and, I, and I forgot to look up that word under that elder. Typically, elders are, it's another word for messenger, but in this, I'm not sure that it is. Uh, so I'm not going to say for sure, but he says, Weep not. Weep not. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. So Jesus Christ, and that is who the Lion of the tribe of Judah is. He is none other than Jesus Christ. He is the, the root of David, and he hath prevailed. He is successfully able to open all seven seals. He was, uh, while no man was found um, in heaven, nor in earth, nor under the earth, no, none there, finally one came forth that could. The Lion of the tribe of Judah. And I beheld and lo, in the midst of the throne uh, and of the four uh, beasts in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes and the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. And we are definitely not going to look into all that today. That's, that is weeks and weeks and weeks worth of study and, and things I'm not prepared to speak on. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat on the throne. Now, this is just a, a picture, a quick picture of, of what took place and how, how this, uh, this lion of the tribe of Judah, now pictured as a lamb, is able to come and take the book of the seven seals and open the seven seals. He took it out of the right hand of God. He said, uh, when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders, uh, every one of them, uh, having, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. That is all of those who were weeping because of their condition, weeping because they had no hope. And then all of a sudden, uh, the lamb uh, shows himself as he had been slain. Just picture that. Slain lamb. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou was slain and has redeemed us. Now that is that. That is the atonement. When the price was paid, that is the atonement. For thou hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. And, and that, that, brothers and sisters, is a picture of, of atonement. Um, we are indebted. And, and again, we've looked at this concept of being totally depraved. And the idea of total depravity means there is nothing we can do in and of ourselves to redeem ourselves. As the, the prophet said, all of our righteousness is as filthy rags, the best we can hope to offer when we come forward and say, Lord God, forgive me. Here's all of my good works. And you hand a pile of filthy rags. That's the best you can do. Well, because of that, we know someone must make an offering for us. Someone must go beside us. Besides us, that is uh, why we have this doctrine of Jesus Christ as our high priest, as the as the one that mediates on our behalf. That's why he is truly the high priest. He goes to God and offers the sacrifice that we could not. Um, the other doctrine is the fact that God had a people in mind. God chose a people. We looked at that concept of election and what election meant and 
And who did the electing? Electing is not about who is chosen and who is not chosen. Election is about who chooses. And it's all about God, the righteous judge. Remember, he is the righteous judge. There is no decision that he could make ever that would be wrong. There is no choice that he could ever make that would ever need to be revised. The fact is that he, when he consulted, uh, he looked down to see if there was anybody he could consult with, and he found none, and he consulted with himself, and he made a choice. He made a choice. And because of these things, because of these things, because we had to have a mediator, because he made a choice, we had to have someone that could come and do exactly what uh, it is that, that God himself desired to do. We, we spoke, we used the passage many times from the book of Matthew. It's one of our uh, absolute favorite passages in all of the Bible. Uh, when the angel of the Lord comes again, and it's so, uh, the angel comes and he visits Joseph, and he explains to Joseph what's going on. Joseph's in a quandary about what to do. He's got this espoused wife, and yet he, she's been found to be the child and, and he doesn't know what to do. And the angel of the Lord comes and explains that it's all right. This is God's work. This is a miracle of God. He said, uh, he said, uh, but while he thought of these things, this is Matthew 1 and 20 beginning, but while he thought of these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David. Here, here he is, the lion of the tribe of Judah, uh, the, the, the root of the, of the branch of David. He is a descendant of David in the flesh. He says, uh, thou son of David. Of course, while, uh, while Joseph was a descendant of David, Mary was also a descendant of David. In the line, legally, he said, uh, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And here's the statement that the angel makes uh, when he appears. Uh, and this is about the atonement. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. He shall do it. So there is often a question about the atonement, about how it is applied, or maybe to whom it is applied to. The question really is uh, about its effectiveness. That's the real question about the atonement. Now, there are a couple of different views. Actually, there's probably three major views about the atonement. One is the idea of universal atonement. Uh, and then we, we, we have to confess that universal atonement seems to be uh, more logical than, uh, I'll say, universal atonement with universal salvation is more logical than the next option. Okay, so universal atonement with universal salvation means that God, that Jesus Christ came and saved his, the, the, the text here, and we'll just use this text for an example, uh, he shall save his people from their sins. So obviously there is a his people. There, there are those that have been designated uh, as, as specifically his. Uh, 17th chapter of John's Gospel, John, uh, Jesus says this, um, he says, uh, verse 1, beginning of the words, uh, spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes into heaven and said, Father, the hour has come, glorify thy Son, that thy Son may also glorify thee as thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. Now, if universal salvation is 
is the is the reality of this atonement if uni, if universal if the if if atonement is universal then Jesus Christ came and he saved every person that ever lived if universal atonement is the correct interpretation of the atonement He's going to give eternal life to as many as was given him. If the Lord God gave Jesus Christ every single individual on the entire planet that had ever lived from the very beginning of time to the very end of time, every one of them have eternal life. He gave it to them. The other, uh, it, when you think about that in light of the passage we read earlier, uh, and he, they sung a new song saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain. And hast redeemed us, there is an us here, to God by thy blood. And then notice, not every kingdom and nation and tongue and people. He says, out of, out of, every kindred and tongue and people and nation, out of. And, and if, if there is an out of, that means that there were those that the atonement was not intended for. That, of course, is the, uh, the, middle, the middle ground there would be uh, the concept of universal atonement and, and not universal salvation. A lot, of, a lot of the world does hold that position, uh, and they have the uh, proof text for that, at least they say. Um, I have researched many of those, and, and I'm, I remain unconvinced. Um, because if, if Jesus Christ were to come and die for every single person, atone for their sins, if, he, if universal atonement is the reality, if Jesus Christ came and atoned for the sins of every single person, atonement would apply to, to all sins. And God still did not take every single person to heaven. He would be unjust. He would be an unjust God. To make a person pay for something that they had already had payment for is completely unjust. To, to me, that, that's the, that is the key. God is holy. God is just. He is the righteous judge. He is the righteous one. Um, He shall save his people from their sins. He does have a people, I, I believe. That the third option for the atonement and the, the, the option that, I, that we believe in is what we might call uh, a limited atonement. And as I began to say a little bit earlier, uh, atonement is either, uh, there is some kind of limit on the atonement. Everybody that believes in atonement, there are those that aren't even interested, but everybody that believes in atonement places some kind of limit on it and it's either in its power or in its effectiveness. So they'll say that the atonement is unlimited in scope. We'll put it like that. Unlimited in scope, but limited in its effectiveness. You see what I'm saying there? So the atonement is for everybody, but it's not quite, it's not completely effective for everybody. You, you know that... That ultimately, that might really be just picking nits when it comes to doctrine. We, on the other hand, would say that it is not that it is limited in its scope and unlimited in its effectiveness. 
So the limit is changed from one side to the other side. So not unlimited effectiveness, but not limited effectiveness, but unlimited effectiveness. In other words, when Jesus came and made the atonement, he saved his people from their sins. When, he, uh, when, that, when that nail was uh, put into his hands and his feet, when those nails were, and when he finally gave up the ghost and he cried, it is finished. It meant it was finished. That payment had been made. There, there is no more payment required. The uh, Ephesian letter, the, well, I'll just, let me read this. Uh, Jesus Christ, as he was uh, walking among the disciples there, made this statement. They're having a discussion about who's the greatest and this is the greatest and I'm the greatest and no, no, let me sit there. No, let me, Jesus said, but it shall not be so among you. This is from Matthew chapter 20. It shall not be so among you, talking about how the, they, those in the world argue and try to rule over each other and so forth. He said, it will not be so among you, but whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. He said, and whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so, so Jesus came, Jesus again makes the statement that he is going to pay a ransom, and that is the atonement. That is the atoning work of Christ. Pay that ransom for many. Uh, there are passages in, in Scripture that talk about all, uh, oftentimes. We'll go back to that. Uh, uh, I'll just give you an example where all obviously doesn't mean every single person. For example, many will quote John 3.16, that God so loves the world, or, or other passages that are similar in talking about all, where it is universally, where they try to argue on the side of universal atonement. When, when uh, Mary and Joseph arrived there, in Bethlehem, they did so because Caesar Augustus had made a, a decree that all the world should be taxed. Now, 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 were the Chinese people going to be taxed? There were Chinese people alive at that time. Um, history clearly shows that. They weren't under consideration in that statement. They weren't going to be taxed. Um, just an example of how that is um, I believe when John speaks about Jesus Christ as the propitiation of the entire world, he's speaking as uh, John, the Jew, to all of those other nations and the, the, uh, the, uh, uh, as the Pharisees were often opposed to him making statements like that the Messiah came to the Jews only. John was, was quick to make sure they understood that Jesus did not just come to the Jews that he came for all nations and kindreds and people and tongues. Ephesians, the Ephesian letter, one of the one of Apostle Paul, one of the greatest doctrinal treasures we have. Uh, the book of Ephesians talks about the blessings that we have in Christ Jesus. Again, the chief blessing being the atonement, that at least for us, 
but Paul begins this letter talking about the blessings that we receive in Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings and in heavenly places in Christ according as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. Now here's the, why it is important to understand the idea that we believe in, on, in one only true and living God, the Father and the Holy Ghost, and these three agree in one. It is important that we understand this concept, to understand what it is that believing in a, a triune Godhead actually means. Again, it does not mean that we believe in three separate gods. It means that we believe in one God, one unified God. And when God the Father makes a decision, when God decides he wants something, that is exactly what God, God, God gets. Um, we don't see ever uh, God making a decree and then someone opposing him and his decree getting put down. You don't see that. Nebuchadnezzar, who was one of the greatest kings that ever lived, uh, uh, gained power throughout uh, almost the entire part of that known world at that time. Uh, he was uh, uh, had control of so much and, and finally came out and said, you know, this is all my doings. I did every bit of this. I was, I'm the greatest that had ever lived. Uh, there has never been any greater than me. I'm the greatest of the greatest. And at that point and at that time, God literally put him out to pasture. You can read about that in the book of Daniel. Uh, and he literally did put him out to pasture. He lost everything. He, his hair grew out. His nails grew long. He became as a wild animal and, and roamed the pasture for, and I can't remember how long it was, uh, I think maybe seven years. The, the perfect amount of time. Whatever that time was required by God, God did that to him, and, and he could not say no. And at the end of that, Nebuchadnezzar came to himself, finally. He came back to himself, and he says this. He says, uh, let me read it so I don't mess it up, because you know how I am. I might, I might mess it up. And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing, and he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? When God the Father makes a decree, makes a choice, God gets what God wants. Um, God had a people, uh, and he chose them before the foundation of the world. Uh, he chose them how? That we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Again, back to that... Uh, Back to our doctrine of uh, total depravity. How are we going to stand holy before a holy God? And we all we are there standing in is our filthy rags. Well, the only way to do that is by imputation, by the covering of Christ, by the atonement, by him placing uh, the blood over us, the altar, uh, the not the altar, the Ark of the Covenant is... Um, uh, you, if you've thought about it before or seen it in movies, seen pictures of it, you remember the Ark of the Covenant is basically just a box, but on top of the box there is this uh, lid and it's got the two uh, 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 seraphim uh, bowed down with their wings spread out, facing each, sort of facing down, uh, bowing uh, as if they were asking for mercy. And that name of that lid is called the Mercy Seat. The mercy seat. It's the uh, uh, the Apostle Paul, or the writer of the book of Hebrews, whether it was Paul or whoever it was, said that that mercy seat is where God meets with his people. 
The actual name for it is propitiation. Propitiation. You see, underneath that mercy seat were all the laws. Those are the things that held over us. Remember, the, the sting of sin is death, and the strength of death is the law. But thanks be to God, which has given us the victory in Jesus Christ. You see, when God looks down from heaven, that's the picture of that ark of the, that the Ark of the Covenant gave to us. He looked down from heaven, and as, as he looked down, he saw the mercy seat. If you'll remember the mercy seat, the high priest would come and he would have a branch of hyssop and he would sprinkle that with the blood. He would sprinkle that with the blood and so as God looked down, he saw the mercy seat covered with the blood. That mercy seat, that's another name for Jesus Christ. Covered with the blood. When he looks down, he doesn't see the law or the things that we broke. He doesn't. He doesn't even worry about opening that book anymore because the one that satisfied that law, the only one that could satisfy that law, did when he opened the seals thereof. Um, the, the companion to the book of Ephesians is the letter to the, the church of Colossae. He says in Colossians chapter 2, uh, and you being dead in your trespasses, you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, not most, not everything, but your sin of unbelief, all trespasses. He says, blotting out the handwriting of the ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he took them out of the way, nailing them to his cross. Nailing them to his cross. All of our sins have been put behind us. Why? Because it was because that's what God wanted. That's what God wanted. Um, John's Gospel. Share some thoughts with you from John's Gospel. As to be sure that we understood what his purpose was and who he was in agreement with, in John chapter 6, Jesus says this. John chapter 6, verse 37, beginning. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. Now that's all inclusive. It includes all of some group. Now you might say that that group includes all men, but I would argue that that group includes all that were given to Jesus by the Father. Now, I don't know how big that group is. Actually, I do. I have some descriptors of how big that group is. In uh, throughout Scripture, God uses two two uh, two ways to describe His people. He tells Abraham that they are as the sands of the seashore. Have you ever seen? Have you ever scooped up a handful of sand at the beach? Could you possibly begin to just in one handful? And my my hands aren't very big, but. I could get a handful of sand and I could not count the grains. He says, as the stars of heaven, as the stars of heaven. You know why there's that many? You know why it's that big? It's not because we were good or precious or perfect. It's not because we were smart or unsinful. 
Because God chose it. It's because it's what He wanted. All that the Father giveth to me shall come to me, and I'll get me get back to the point here about Jesus and the fact that He is in unison with the Father, that everything the Father decides is exactly what the Son does. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven, and I'll just comment on that right quick, this concept of coming. Uh, I would say this is not a physical coming. This is not a physical outward coming. This is a, 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 this is a effectual coming. This is the kind of coming that uh, that is demonstrated by Lazarus in the tomb. This is that's the kind of coming that this demonstrate that is demonstrated here. Lazarus in the tomb. Jesus went to, this is a, I'm going to chase a rabbit just for a second. Jesus went to visit his friend Lazarus who had died. And you, you remember the results there. He said, I'm glad that he's died for your sakes that you might see the power of God. <laughs> you might see that. And Jesus said, come forth. This is the kind of coming that is, is equal to that. When Jesus says, come forth, all of his come forth. And it is a coming forth out of death and sins is what this is. It is a coming forth in new life. It has nothing to do with what we know or, or how much we know or, or, or how good we are or how obedient we are or how we follow. In reality, it doesn't have a single thing to do. There's not a single footstep in this coming. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out, for I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing but raise it up again to the last day. And that's, that is because he atoned for every single one of them. His atonement was completely effective, regardless of where they are regardless of how long they lived, regardless of whether or not they ever came out of the womb and took a breath. Secure. Safe. Atoned for. Completely atoned for. Tenth chapter of John's Gospel, Jesus says this: "I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. He's not like one of those hirelings that slips in and creeps over the side. He's the he's the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep." John chapter 10, verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life, giveth. Uh, that ETH, that old English, uh, gives is not really sufficient there. It is giving. Giving my life for the sheep. Ever giving. That means that means it, this is uh, uh, the, the actual view, the actual view of this word it is implies it's 
while it was a one-time uh, one-time occurrence. Uh, got too many bookmarks. But now, once in the end of the world, hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Hebrews 9 and the second half of verse 26. Once in the end of the world hath he appeared. End of what world? End of that old, old dispensation. The beginning of the new dispensation. The dispensation where we can look back to the cross. Where we can look back to the atonement. Where we can look back and see the work of Jesus Christ. I am the good shepherd and I and the good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. It, continue, it was a one-time occurrence, but a continual effectiveness. On and on and on. The results don't stop, is what that means. It means that effectiveness never runs out. It means that, that he, when he gave his life for the sheep, that giving still works today. <laughs> still works today. Every single child of God has had their sins atoned for. He says, uh, verse 14, I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine. He says, as the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep have I. And he's, again, he's here talking to his disciples, just the Jews. He's talking to the Jews. This is about the Jews. And he says, I also have more sheep, not just you. Praise the Lord for that. Not just you. You're not the only sheep. Other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice. Every single one of them will hear his voice. Every single one of them. There's an interesting saying in the uh, fifth chapter of John's gospel. He says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me, hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. That's about hearing. He, he says this also, he says, for as the Father raiseth up the dead and quickeneth them, even so the Son quickeneth whom he will. He makes them alive. Gives them ears to hear. Gives them hearing ears. He says, as the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it up again. That's some of that old, uh, that's some of that old, some of those old rules. <laughs> you look back in the book of Leviticus, the, the, the sacrifice belongs to the priest. That's a rule of God. God says the sacrifice belongs to the priest. And when Jesus Christ went into that holy of holies to make that sacrifice for his people, he didn't have the blood of others like those figurative priests did. He had his own blood. That's why when he laid it down, he could take it up again because it belonged to him. Because God said so. 
He says, no man take it from me, but I lay it down of my own will. I have the power to lay it down. I have the power to take it up. This commandment have I received from my Father. A little bit later in this same chapter, he's talking to some of the Pharisees. Again, we are not in the business of saying who is and who is not a child of God. That is not up to us. We've never been, uh, uh, God has never asked us to make that determination. That is solely up to him and him alone. But there are those who aren't sheep. Jesus says, I told you you believe not the works that I do in my Father's name. They bear witness of me, but you believe not because you are not of my sheep. As I said unto you, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them, I give them eternal life. It doesn't offer eternal life. Brothers and sisters, eternal life has never been offered to anyone, ever. Eternal life is bestowed, is given. I give unto them eternal life. And what is the result of that, that giving unto them eternal life? It is that they shall never perish. Never. Not, there, oh, there might be a chance that one of them might fall to the wayside. Not possible. Not. Not a chance. The picture, the process, the, there's no more beautiful, clear picture of this atoning work of Christ than in the 53rd chapter of the book of Isaiah. It's interesting, I, I love this. He makes this statement about, he begins that 53rd chapter with, Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Who's going to believe it? <laughs> Who's going to believe this wild statement? That, that's exactly what the Apostle Paul used in the 10th chapter of the book of Romans when he's talking about his heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel that they might be saved. Because they were all steeped in the law. <laughs> They're not going to believe it. I don't believe it, even if you tell them. But again, here, unbelief. Go, go to the go to the twelfth uh, chapter of the book of Hebrews. Uh, unbelief, unbelief is a sin. Unbelief is a sin. And guess what? It's atoned for too. Absolutely atoned for. Isaiah chapter fifty three. He shall, grow, he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, the, the root of a dry ground. He hath no form or comeliness. And when we shall uh, see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we, as it were, hid our faces from him. That he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he had borne our sorrows. Uh, surely he had borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken and smitten of God and afflicted. We looked over there and we saw him being beaten. We saw him being crucified ultimately. And we said, yeah, you deserve that. That's what we said. That's what we said. We esteemed, we believed it was right. See, that's how his people are. When, when we were yet without strength, in due time, Christ died for the pretty good people. Ah. Scripture says Christ died for the ungodly. We were his enemies. That makes the atonement even that much more precious, knowing that even when we were his enemies, 
he still came and paid our debt. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, and we have turned every one to his own way. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity, the iniquity I'm sorry, of us all. Again, there's the us, the all. Um, who, let me just highlight who that is again, just so we don't forget. Romans, the eighth chapter. I don't want to labor this point too much, but we can't forget who that is. Romans chapter 8, verse 28, beginning, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called. Notice the called. It's a, it's a specific group of people. The called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among Many brethren, moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. Whom he called, them he also justified. Whom he justified, them he also glorified. So what shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Who's the us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? <coughs> Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect is chosen? That's who, that's, that's the us. And the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus, the, the atoning work of Jesus Christ paid for every sin of every elect child of God from every era of time until the very last one. He was oppressed and was uh, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before the shearers is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people was he stricken. Yet it pleased the Lord, verse 10, to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, there's the atonement again, the payment, the payment that we couldn't pay, the debt that we had that we couldn't possibly have any hope of making repayment for. As a matter of fact, the debt that we had and the payment that we owed, we didn't even care that we owed it. See, that's the, that's the, that's the, Another one of the most beautiful things about the atonement. A debt was paid for us that we weren't even going to repay. We had no, even if we had the power, we had no desire. Made his soul an offering for sin. He shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hands. He shall see, and, and notice here it says, it doesn't say he shall see the travail of his soul. It says he shall see of the travail of his soul. He, he'll see the results 
of that pain, the results of that suffering. He didn't go to the cross for nothing. He didn't go to the cross for a possibility. That's, that's what I, I want you to take away from this. Jesus Christ didn't go to the cross for a possibility of salvation. Jesus Christ went to the cross for the absolute surety of salvation. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. He'll do it. He'll, he'll, he'll save them. One last verse, and I'm going to close with this. In, in the gospel is a declaration of that. In the gospel is a declaration of the finished work of Christ. I'll put it like that. That is what we preach, what we proclaim, because that is the thing that brings the, the child of God comfort. Hearing that the work is finished. Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people, saith your God. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished. I don't know I missed something in that verse, but Houston wouldn't have. That's his favorite verse. This is, the, the, that message is in the gospel. That message is in the gospel. First, uh, Second Corinthians, the fifth chapter. Again, I'm going to close with this. And all things are of God. Verse 18. Who hath reconciled us to himself. So God made us right again. Made us right with him. How did he do that? How, how did that reconciliation come about? All things are of God. You know those all things I just mentioned there in Romans uh, 8? All things? This, again, this is those same all things. A lot of people look at those all things that happen and they think that it's all things that happen to us in life. Oh, I, I walked through the hall this morning and stubbed my toe. Well, that's one of those things that's going to work out for my good. That is absolutely not one of the all things under consideration there. That is not what that's talking about. All of those, all things under consideration in Romans chapter 8 are all of those things that God does for His people to see that they get from where they are to where they ought to be. That is all the things. Uh, uh, choosing, uh, justification, glorification, all of those things that God does for us. Here it is again. And all things are of God who hath reconciled us to Himself by Jesus Christ, but through that atoning work of Jesus Christ, and hath given us, he's given us, not the work, okay, but the ministry, the ministry of reconciliation. He's called us to proclaim that he's finished the work. That's what he's called us to do. Proclaim the finished work. To wit, that word wit just means know. To know that God was, was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. You see, they didn't want to be reconciled. They couldn't be reconciled in and of themselves. Well, they had no desire to be reconciled, and then they, they didn't have anything to reconcile themselves with, nothing to even pay with. Uh, he says, but God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself. And that, that idea of the world there is that whole elect world of God. Not a single one of them were missed. Reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us. Here it is, the word of reconciliation, or that message about 
reconciliation. Now, we are, as ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. He's done it. Own it. You see, that's the thing that will set you free. You'll know the truth. What's the truth? The truth is God, Jesus Christ, atoned for you. He paid your sin debt. You know it? Own it. You'll know the truth, and the truth will make you free. You won't fear anymore. Whatever the world has to, to throw at you, you won't have to fear any longer because you're bought. You're 100% owned. You were, you're not your own. You're bought with a price, the Scripture tells us. Now, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be you reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. May the Lord help us to remember that as well.